Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Bibles in John 17. I really want you to follow along. I'm going to try to go through it verse by verse so that you can understand this is God saying this to us and not me come up with any clever ideas. This is God's word to us today. So John 17 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray yet once again. I know Pastor James did a great job of praying just now, but I am aware every time I preach of my utter incompetence to say this in a way that's going to not just get in your heads, but go to your hearts. And I'm also aware of your incompetence to hear this in a way that's going to change your lives apart from Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I can't do this. Honestly, I can't do this. You can't do this. So I'm going to pray once again. And so I'm just going to do a quick short prayer, just asking that God would help us push aside all the distractions, all the discouragements, and all the things we walked in here with, and just focus for the next 45 minutes on him and his word. So let me pray to that end, and then we will get into the word of God. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open up uh, the most precious book in the universe, the living and active word of God. Father, I pray today that you would do, just as I just finished saying, that you would you'd open our ears to hear the message of the truth. God, you'd open our eyes to see Jesus and open our heart to believe and understand in a way that would change the way we live our lives this coming week, in a way that would change the trajectory of our lives. God, I am so aware of the fact that I cannot do this without your Holy Spirit this morning. Father, I'm so aware of the fact that, that the people in front of me cannot do this without your Holy Spirit this morning. So God, we submit to you and we ask that you would reign supreme in this place and you'd wait, make your word come alive. Please, oh God, we didn't come here for entertainment. We didn't come here for friends. We came here to meet you, God. Make your word come alive in our minds and our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John 17, uh, we see the little subtitle here, the high priestly prayer. And uh, you ever had someone pray for you or over your life that made a deep impact on you? You know, you're, you're busting through life and someone stops and maybe meets the time of me and says, hey, can I pray for you? And you, you've never forgotten that time where they prayed for you. I've had a few of those in my life. I grew up with one of those uh, rebellious pastor's kids. And I remember early on in life, we had a guest speaker coming to our church. And after church, he, he, he found me out and he goes, hey, man, like, I need to pray for you. And you're like, oh, you do? Yeah, I can tell you don't want to follow God. Let me pray for you. And he put his hand on me and he prayed for me in a way that I've never forgotten. I remember our wedding day and a pastor coming and praying for us. I've never forgotten that prayer. I remember early on in ministry and being discouraged, another pastor friend coming along, sitting in his car, and he just busted into a powerful prayer for my life that I've never, ever forgotten. I, uh, ever had one of those moments? One of the most profound moments of prayer came to me in grade 12. I was, like I said, a pastor's kid, and uh, I never really strayed far into the world, but I tried my hardest, man, but God kept me, pulling me back. I remember coming home grade 12 from one of my spares, and I was running home quick, and I busted in the, the door, and I uh, went running around looking for my mom. Mom, mom, I gotta find my football cleats or something. I can't remember what I was looking for. And, and I went busting into the room, and there she was sitting on this little couch in her room, head bowed, Bible open, praying out loud. And we're stopping in my tracks and like being a smart aleck, you know, hey, mom, you falling asleep again? Oh, you fall asleep, you know, like what's going on? She's like, uh, clearly I'm praying. I was like, what are you praying for? And she's like, you. Stop me in my tracks, you know, like, well, what are you praying for? Basically, to summarize, you take God seriously and follow God? I made some smart comment, you know, and 
busted out of the house and men have never forgotten that because in and of myself, I would have never come to know Jesus. But it was the prayers of people like my mother that, that, that made me understand and see the full reality of Jesus. And even more powerful than busting into my mother's room and hearing a mother's heart for a child. You know what we're doing this morning in John chapter 17? We're busting into the throne room of God and hearing Jesus' heart, the Savior of the world, as he prays for who? Not just anybody, but for his disciples and for you and I. This is John 17, the, the high priestly prayer. We've heard of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. We kind of make it contrite, right? You know, the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Well, this is the real Lord's Prayer that you can't make any too simple or too contrite. This is, this is Jesus' heart in praying for you. And I don't know about you, but as I even get to this text, I think, man, Jesus prays for me. Don't we pray to Jesus? We do. Here's the miracle of it all. The son of God, the king of the universe, who's sitting at the right hand of God right now. You know what he's also doing on the throne? Not just reigning over the universe. You know what he's doing? He's praying for you and for I. What's he praying for us? It's right here in John 17. The high priestly prayer is Jesus praying for his disciples praying for our lives. I want you to note that Jesus' life was marked by prayer. Jesus prayed hard and he prayed often. At his baptism, he prayed. On his preaching tour, he prayed. The choosing of his 12 disciples or apostles, he prayed. Performing miracles, he prayed. At the transfiguration, he prayed. At the Last Supper, he prayed. But none more powerful than this prayer right here. The longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the scriptures. When does this prayer come to help you understand context? It came at the end of his time with the disciples in the upper room where he was serving and comforting and instructing his anxious followers. He was telling them of his impending death. They're like, what, you're gonna die? No way, no way. He's like, it's true, it's true. I am gonna die. But it's good that I do, as Graham reminded us last week, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. Better than Jesus with us is God within us, the Holy Spirit. And then he said this, I'm gonna pray for you. Why did he pray for his disciples? Why did he pray for us? Because man, we, I don't know about you, but we need it. Because we need prayer. He realized he was going away and leaving his disciples in a chaotic, broken, sinful world as fallen individuals. What do they need more than anything? They need the Holy Spirit and they need Jesus interceding on their behalf to the Father with prayers that they can't even muster up on their own, but that the all-knowing God can pray for them. He prayed for them because they needed it. And we know this morning we need it desperately. So listen to the prayers. I'm just going to summarize verses 1 to 5 for you. The first thing Jesus prays here is that God would glorify him. Look what it says. When Jesus spoke in these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Just knows that. Glorify your son. He says it a couple times in the first five verses. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In other words, Jesus is, God is, Jesus is praying that, that God would elevate him so that the world would see his glory. The world would see his majesty and his beauty. The world would realize that just like the universe orbits around the sun, everything in this universe ought to orbit around God's son, Jesus Christ, including our lives. God, help them see their lives ought to orbit around me. And then he gives us four principles I'm just going to break down quickly for us this morning of how our lives can truly glorify him. We're going to see this in his high priestly prayer. There's a lot of theological truth in this text. We get into all the academics of the theology here. I'm just going to give you the practical theology this morning. You okay with that? I'm going to skip, skip all the academics and give you the, the, the practical theology that applies to our everyday lives. And here's how our lives glorify Jesus. This is how Jesus prayed for you, that you and I'd get this today. Not just you, that I'd get this today too. 
He prayed, first of all, that we glorify him by knowing that I belong to him. That he, we glorify him. This is what brings God glory is that we know that we belong to him. Look what it says in verse 6. Hopefully you're following along. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Notice this, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Verse nine, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me. He's praying for his People, his disciples and his people, for they are yours. Notice all this, like, like God, you gave them to me. They are mine. I am theirs. Such profound truths that's hard to wrap our minds around when you think of God and Jesus Christ and how it relates to us. It's simply this. If you're saved today, you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, here's a, here's a truth we need to carry with us in this world, that we belong to Jesus. It says it right here in the text. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Notice in this what Jesus isn't praying before we notice what he is praying. Jesus isn't praying that God would take us out of the world. He clearly says that here. I'm not praying you're going to take them out of the world. Sometimes we long for God, just take us out of this world, man. It's so hard. It's so difficult. Take us out. Take us home. We just want to get home. He's not praying that. He's praying that that. that God to be glorified in us as we live in this world. Notice he doesn't pray for his people, health, wealth, and prosperity, as some preachers teach you. He's not praying like, oh, God, give them good grades and give them financial success and give them their dream job that's going to fulfill all their desires. He's not praying that. Notice what else he's not praying. He's not praying for a peaceful, soft, comfy, little safe life. You know, like, God, help them find a place where they can build an end-of-the-world bunker and hunker down away from everybody else so they're peaceful and no problems. He's not praying that. Notice he's not praying that we'd get along with the world. Well, maybe if like me, you'll like my Jesus. Has that worked for you yet? I played hockey, soccer, all until I got too old and started falling apart. And man, everyone liked me in the hockey locker room and the soccer field until they asked me what you do for a living. What do you do for a living? You're pretty cool. I'm a pastor. Boom, boom, conversation stopper right there. All of a sudden, you got the, the plague, you know? They're like, ooh, that guy's kind of weird. It's not if they like you, they'll like your Jesus. He's not praying that. You know what he's praying, really? He's praying that we'd stand out from the world. That our lives would be so marked by Jesus Christ that our lives would stand out from the world. You ever flip through a little kid's pop-up book with your kids and you're flipping through all these little these characters pop out at you? He's praying that as people read the story of life in the world, that your lives would be the, the pop-ups that people would see a difference in us, that we kind of pop out at them. Why? Because Jesus lives within us. Notice if you're going to thrive in the world the way that Jesus desires you to thrive in the world, it starts with simply this, brothers and sisters. Knowing you're not of the world, you're of another world because you belong to Jesus. Think about everyone in the world. We all try to find our identity by aligning with something or someone, don't we? We all do. In high school, it's like I'm part of the chess club or the football team or the drama team or the choir. That's my identity. Beyond high school, it's like, well, what college I graduated from? Oh, I went to Concordia or I went to McGill or pff, I went to the U.S., you know? Beyond that, it's your job or 
what Facebook group you're a part of or your scrapbooking club. It's like, well, who am I a part of? That's why we identify ourselves. What Jesus wants us to praying for us, we wouldn't identify with anything in this world that we'd quickly say, like, I identify with Jesus Christ. He's my God. He's my Savior. He's the one that matters. He's the one that gives me my identity. God gave me to him, and now he is mine, and I am his. Notice that he is mine, and I am his. Isaiah 43, one of my favorite passages. God says he's called us out of the world. He called us by name because why? We are his. I'm 46 years old. I've been a Christian for most of my life. I've studied all levels of theology. And you know what? I stumble over this simple truth sometimes, don't you? Most glorious in the world, I'm God's. Little sinful broken me. Messes up every day of my life. Like if I was God, I would have been like, hey, enough with this clown. Let's find someone that I can like really, but that's not God and Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for my sins and he's called me his own. And, and that's a name that I'm never going to lose, thank the Lord. It's like my kids. They're born into my family and they have my last name and they can't change. They could probably change. This doesn't change who they are. I'm God's. He's mine. It's Jesus' simple prayer here. Like, if you could just get that, that'd change your life. You wouldn't get preoccupied with the world. You wouldn't start defining yourself by the world. You wouldn't get down on yourself when the world beats you down or people call you down like, like we all do. If you're saved today, here's the truth. Like, it doesn't matter what's in your passport. You're a citizen of heaven, a child of the living God. And that's all that matters. You with me? Because no matter what happens in this world, no one can take that from you. Praise the Lord. I have so much to say on that, but let's go on to the second part here, the Jesus prayer. Number one, that we just get this simple fact that I'm with Jesus, he's with me, I am his, he is mine, and that is my identity now. Here's number two. He's praying that we'd be strong in Jesus' name. Look at verses 11 to 13. Oh, Father, keep them, uh, sorry, verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of these is lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Judas, we know who that is. It's not you, thank goodness. You're not the son of destruction. <laughs> He's come and gone. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak to the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's really praying that we'd be strong and kept and guarded in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I find this as such a comfort and encouragement to my soul. I don't have to keep myself. I don't have to guard myself. Jesus praying, and this is like not a, I hope it happens. This is praying a prayer as if it's already true. Like, God, you will guard them and you will keep them. Why? Because he is God. And you are his and he is yours. Somehow in this Christian life, we've come to think that the Christian life is supposed to be easy and comfortable and simple. It's kind of like going to the amusement park and getting one of those rafts and going down the lazy river, you know, past all the palm trees. And you just kind of sit back with your friends and joke and splash, you know what I mean? And that's the Christian life, right? Like, wouldn't that be great? But why is Jesus praying that God would keep us and guard us? Because that's nothing like the Christian life. The Christian life is more like whitewater rafting. We are holding on for dear life. 
And you're swimming more than you're in the boat sometimes, although you probably never admit that. And at the end of the, at the, end of the river, you're just, you're just glad you made it to the end. And somehow it was exhilarating on the, on the, the, the tour. And yeah, you saw the beautiful scenery. Yeah, the, the exhilarity of the, the rapids. Yet the peaceful, tranquil moments of the calm river. But somehow at the end, you just realize that, man, that was a rush and that was a ride. But man, did I ever have to hold on. Whitewater rafting is not for the faint of heart. And neither is the Christian life. That's why Jesus is praying, if you're really going to follow God, it's going to be hard. You're going to be tossed into the sea. You're going to be tossed to and fro. You're going to be white knuckling sometimes. But get this, he's praying so that we'd be assured that God will keep us and God will guard us. Look at the, look at the words, keep and guard. If you have your Bibles, you can like circle those words. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them. How? Not in our strength, but in his name. Because he, you gave them to me. Guard them. I guarded them. Now you guard them. He's kind of passing on the torch. Like, I look after them. Now it's your job, God. Capable God he is. He will take that job and run with it. Think of this. What's it mean to be kept or guarded? I think sometimes we think that means to be shielded from all of life's troubles. That is absolutely false. To be kept is sort of like, think sports equipment. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel the blows, but it means it's going to protect you from ultimate destruction. You know what I mean? Think putting your hockey equipment on, your football equipment. Man. You're going to still feel every tackle and every hit, but that equipment protects you from being destroyed as if you didn't wear that stuff. Still might get the odd blown knee and concussion, but never the TKO. Think being guarded. Think of the, the celebrities with their entourages, and everywhere they go, there's people all around them guarding them as they navigate through the life. And that, that, that's what God is promising to us. Jesus is promising to us through his prayer and the high priestly prayer that God will guard us. Everywhere we go, we have an entourage of one named God. And if God is on our side, who could be against us? Psalm 121. Write that one down, look it up later this afternoon. Psalm 121 is a powerful text showing that, that God is with us. It says that God is watching over our coming and going from the start of life to the end. He never slumbers or sleeps. He's with us in the day, he's with us at night, and he will not let our foot stumble. It's not like never trip or fall, but he's always gonna push us back up and keep us going in the direction that he wants us to go. God's gonna watch over us like a doting parent watches over their toddler. Amazing. Why does God have to watch so closely over us? Because Ephesians 6 says that we're in a spiritual war. A battle. And the other side of that battle is the enemy, Satan. And he is stronger than we are. And he, his goal is to come and kill and steal and destroy everything that's good and everything of God, including those who want to follow God. And so we're in this battle for our lives that we can't fight, yet with God on our side, he will protect us and guard us and guide us and fight for us. The enemy is so strong, the Bible likens him to five different animals. In Genesis 3, he's a serpent trying to deceive. In Matthew 13, he's a bird trying to spoil God's harvest. In John 10, he's a wolf attacking God's flock. In 1 Peter 5, he's a lion trying to devour God's children. In Revelation 12, he's a dragon wanting to destroy God's son. And this all came from a guy named um, Morgan Robert in the Red Sea Rules. That's the enemy. He's a serpent, a bird, a wolf, a lion, a dragon. I don't know you, but I felt that even this week, haven't you? 
It seems like something's against us all the time and someone's coming after us. It's true, it's the enemy. But instead of cowering in a corner and fearing the enemy, Revelation 5.5 tells us that weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered and he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. In other words, if we are God's and he is his, the lion of Judah is on our side and the lion of Judah squashes the serpent. He chases away the bird. He devours the wolf. He's the king of the jungle and he ultimately strays the dragon in the end. That's God on our side. And so that's why it says here that we can have joy. See what it says here in verse 13? I pray that they have joy fulfilled in themselves, not because we get to fulfill or actualize our own joy like the world tells you, but our actualization of our joy comes in knowing, in knowing that God is keeping us and guarding us and protecting us, that God is with us and that nothing can snatch us out of the hands of the living God. And so we have joy because... We know that Jesus is praying for us. This is God's purpose and plan for our lives. And, and this, is, this is what glorifies Jesus, seeing God protect and keep us. John 16, 33. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Here's another one, John, 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. And do you realize that we're overcomers this morning and all of our struggles and all of our battles and all of our sinfulness, we are overcomers. Why? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I know you're looking for joy this morning. We're all looking for joy. But joy doesn't come from anything the world says joy comes from. Joy doesn't come from fulfilling all your dreams and living out your bucket lists and all the things that we have and, and finding the, the best woman or the best man to, to make us complete. That's not where ultimate joy comes from. Joy ultimately comes from knowing that God is with us every step of the way. Second thing Jesus prays is simply this, that we would know, that we would know that we can be strong in Jesus' name. You can be strong in Jesus' name. Here's the third thing that God, Jesus prays, that we be rooted in the word of God. Jesus prays that we be rooted in the word of God. Look at verses 14 to 19. I'm just giving you an overview of this this morning. You're gonna have to go through and like study this and, and really get some of these truths and dive down deep. But I'm giving you an overview to hopefully just help you see Jesus and whet your, whet your appetite for what this text teaches us. Here's what it says in verses 14 to 19. Look at this. I have given them your word. How do we be strong? Well, here it is. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because we are not of the world. Notice again, we're not going to be accepted by the world. We're going to be hated by the world, especially if we hold to the word of God, just as I am not in the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them now in the truth. See, word and truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that it may also be sanctified in truth. See that word, truth, word, truth, even in verse 20, word, like, like it's, it's all about the word of God. Jesus is praying that we would grasp the significance of the word of God and live in that truth. 
Sanctified is what it says here. That's just a great big fancy word, biblical word, sanctification. It means God's role in making you become more like Jesus. The process of becoming more like Jesus, literally it means to be set apart for a special use or purpose. In other words, it's to be made holy, to be set apart for God's purposes. That's what it means for sanctification. Sometimes read the Bible, like all these big words, what does that mean for me? It means that, that God's, Jesus is praying that you'd be set apart and made holy for the purposes of God. How does that happen? Through the word of God. That's why he says, he prays that we'd be rooted in the word. And I think what he's really praying is that we'd be transformed by the word of God. We wouldn't just understand the word of God. Oh, that makes sense. We wouldn't just acknowledge the word of God. Oh, I get that. I'm going to agree with that. That we'd be transformed by the word of God. In other words, God's word would, would, would permeate our lives in a way that makes a difference in the way that we see the world, in the way that we think about things, in the way our hearts respond, even in the way that we act. That's what it means to be sanctified and transformed by the word of God. Notice this too, as we're sanctified, we're not saved to be shielded from the world, but to be sent into the world on mission and even people as we're on mission how do we how are we empowered by that by the word of god i believe what jesus is praying here is that we would grasp the word so deeply that we wouldn't be those christians that scramble around on sunday morning to find our bibles you know what i mean so bring them to church and look real spiritual that, that we wouldn't be those christians that like that tweet just like little phrases out of the word of god just to look more spiritual than the next person or the Christians that, that yeah, I used to read the Bible a couple years ago, but now it's just not a part of my life. We'd be people who actually love and live and abide in the word of God on a daily basis so that our lives will be changed by the word of God. That we'd be transformed with the truth of Jesus. You hear this a lot in church, right? Like, man, you gotta be transformed, you gotta be transformed, you gotta be transformed, and... So often we run out of church going like, I gotta transform myself, man. I gotta make better choices. I gotta do whatever. I gotta free this. I gotta be transformed. Well, here's how we're transformed according to this. We're sanctified in the truth. So if this is your life and my life, which pretty, pretty much looks like my life, I think. All battered up and broken and twisted and disheveled. And we come to Jesus like this, not like this. We kind of think we have to come to Jesus like this and not like this. Well, we're all still kind of here, right? But we want to be like this, like Jesus is the perfect cop. This is our lives reflecting the, this is Jesus right here. This is our lives. Well, how, how do we become more like Jesus? It's not by trying harder. It's by abiding in the word of God. It's, it says the word of God dwells within us. See this? These cups might not be perfect. Tim Horton's cups work better, but I'm too cheap for Tim Horton's. I got the free ones here. As we let the word of God abide in us, look what happens to, the, look what happens to our lives. It starts to take on the shape of Jesus. It starts to look a little more like Jesus. The wrinkles start... A little bit coming out and that's a whole life, that's a whole lifetime. It starts with that beat up cop and as Jesus abides in us, look, look, look at how much we look more like Jesus now by the end of our lives, hopefully, right? But notice, notice the cup's still beat up. We're not gonna be there yet. The cup's still evidence that it was once in the trash. But yet the difference was not us, it was the word of God abiding in us. See that? I want to be transformed, pastor. I want to be transformed. I want to be, I want to be more like Jesus. Well, better pick up your Bible and start reading and praying and abiding and letting the word of God dwell in you richly. Here's, here's what it 
really means for, to be rooted in the word of God. It's to put yourself under the word of God, under the authority and power of the word of God, to be obedient to the word of God, to allow God's words to guide your life and be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's allowing the word of God to dwell within you, to be your nourishment and your sustenance in your spiritual life. It's like Jeremiah 15, to devour the word of God. Colossians 3, to let the word of God dwell in us richly. It's to be enveloped or enveloped by the word of God, like a life preserver is the word of God in our lives. How do we make it through to the end? Get the life preserver on, which is the word of God, no matter what pool of water you find yourself sinking in, that thing is going to keep you up and keep you going in the right direction. It's, it's even standing on the word of God. The firm foundation of our lives, as Psalm 19 says, is the perfect and sure and right and pure word of God. And the world's like, what is truth? Where do we find truth? We found it. We got it right here, the word of God. It's now living under it and allowing it to dwell within us and being surrounded by it, even putting our lives firmly on the word of God. That's how your life becomes transformed. And yet I can preach this, and you guys know this. Once you've been in church most of your lives, you get these concepts. Like, oh, yeah, I understand. But then this book becomes like the, I don't know how in our Christian lives, this book becomes the last place we turn and the, we're quicker to turn on CNN and USA Today and all the, the news channels and the sports channels and that this is the last place we go. And yet this is the game changer right here. Or we allow this book to become duty to us and just wrote and meaningless and it's lost its zeal from when we first became saved or maybe the discouragements pile up and too many hardships and pain and your emotional baggage builds up and somehow keeps you from the word of God or Maybe doubt piles in your life didn't turn out the way you thought it would, and so you see the word of God, like, yeah, it's true for them, but is it really true for me? Or maybe you just become deceived and don't think you need the word of God anymore because you got this whole Christian thing figured out. You read it once, that's all you need. I see these things because I've battled with those things too in my life. I'm not calling you out. Those are the things that keep me from the word of God, so I assume they might keep some of you guys from the word of God as well. But Jesus is praying that we push aside all the duty, the discouragement, the doubt, and the deception that we would then truly, truly put our lives in the word of God, that it would stand over us and indwell us and surround us and, and we'd, we'd stand on it and this would be our defining reality in our lives. It's, it's, it's God is for us. Jesus died on the cross for us. The Holy Spirit indwells us and the word of God is our guide. Is, is it for you? I think every Christian I ask would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. I can't give you 100% this morning. I wish I could, but that's, I'm a little more broken than that. If you're at 25%, like, I encourage you to like, aim for 50% this coming week. Maybe if you're at 75%, like aim for 85%. You know, like, all I'm trying to say is like this week, let's, let's determine that, that more this week, I, I'm going to see Jesus' prayer answer my life by determining that more this week by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I'm going to abide in the word and see what God does in my life for his glory. You'll see a remarkable difference between this Sunday and next Sunday if this becomes your daily diet. And we don't treat the word of God like a Chinese buffet after church Sunday morning where we come and we fill our face, but by five o'clock we're starving again, Right? 
How many Christians do I know that they fill their face Sunday morning, can't figure out why they're weak all, all week long? They're weak. Well, I can tell you why they're weak, why I'm weak. The weeks that I'm weak, I know why I'm weak because I, I fill up on the Word of God Sunday morning and then I'm starving Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Can you imagine if you ate one meal a week and that was Sunday morning? How your life would be on Monday by lunch? You'd be starving and barely making it. Whereas Jesus praying, man, if they can just get their lives rooted in the word of God, they'll be sanctified. The world will see Jesus and there'll be a different place. This is what Jesus is praying for us. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. To be unified within God's family. Verses 21 to 26 is all about being unified in the family of God. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. See that again? Through the word. It's not through us being smart and convincing people to follow Christ. It's through the word of God. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. This is fascinating. The glory that God gave Jesus, he's given to us, to stand out and be superstars for the faith? No, that we might be one even as Jesus and God are one. Wrap your mind around that for a minute, the Trinity, right? I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. You can just circle all the times it says one in your Bibles in these verses. I got four, but maybe your version has a different, different amount, but that they may be one, that the world might know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see your glory that I have been given because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know, that, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I wonder what's nearest to the heart of Jesus is in his prayer. One of the things so close to the heart of Jesus that we've forgotten in our individualistic society of North America today is that we are called not just to have this like tight relationship with Jesus, me and him, but like we are called together to have a tight relationship with him. This is a, this is a, a three musketeers thing or all for one, one for all. No, it's me and Jesus. No, it's not you and Jesus. It's, it's us and Jesus for the glory of God. That's how the world sees Jesus. Anyone can live an individualistic, selfish, proud, sinful life. Anyone can live that. That's easy. The world sees a difference in us when we live self-sacrificially for the believers, the fellowship of believers for the glory of God. That's how the world sees a difference in us. I listened to this uh, Matt Chandler snippet this week and he said it so well especially in today's day and age this culture he was basically saying you know what's what's the greatest apologetic today for the the truth of jesus the holiness of god we set the bar really low it's simply christians getting along and being nice and yet somehow we still trip over it you know what i mean it's Christians showing each other grace, grace, even if we don't, under, don't agree, and, and loving each other in an uncommon way that the world doesn't get, and loving each other in our differences. That's what the greatest apologetic for Jesus is today, because it's so uncommon in the world. Jesus is praying that this church, that our lives, not just this church, but with other believers, even, even other maybe denominations or different ways of 
thinking about God, obviously according to the truth, that we would be one, that we would be unified in cohesion, getting along. In fact, Proverbs 6 says there's six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Abomination is a pretty strong word. You get what it means. I don't have to give you the official dictionary definition. Abomination, like it makes him gag. It makes him get all worked up and beat red in the face in a righteous, healthy way. The seventh thing is this, a false witness who sows discord among the brothers. Because the truth is, just like as a father, my greatest joy is when our family actually gets along which isn't always the truth in our house. But those days of unity, man, those are sweet days. That's, that's why I got married and had a family, because I love those days. The days that it's not, you're like, oh my goodness, what have I done? I'm not just messing up my, my life, I'm messing up everyone else's life too. My poor wife, she married me. My poor kid, I'm their dad. Golly. But the days we get along, it's like, yes, this is what it's about. The days God's family gets along, it's like, yes, this is what it's about. Keeps the mission going forward. It shows the world the truth of Jesus. Think, think about the church as this, as a, as a rowing team. Everywhere we've lived, it seems that rowers have been in the area. And think of a rowing team and people rowing together, all listening to the, 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 the coxswain. Is the, the coxswain, he's the guy in the front of the ship, you know? And they're all rowing in unison. And man, that's a beautiful thing. Can you imagine everyone's rowing at their own pace? Like, that'd just be chaos. But when we're all rowing together, man, there's a goal, there's a drive. And man, it's just clearly like they we're going somewhere. The mission's moving forward. And, and can you imagine a band that's not listening to their instructor and trying to play a song? My wife taught junior high band for a while and dragged me to the concerts. And man, when they, when they had their eyes fixed on her, were following her, man, it was good. When they didn't, oh my goodness. And it goes so well at the beginning of her concerts because they'd all be focused, you know, and watching the conductor and she'd be all proud and then one kid would be like, out of the French horn, everyone would start snickering and they'd start waving at their parents, you know, and there'd be chaos. you are like, what's going on? But when they followed the conductor, man, it was sweet harmony and everyone, they wanted to listen. We were there, like, yeah, it's beautiful when it was and it was chaos. And I'd be like, oh, is it almost done? It was five minutes in, shoot. When we all follow Jesus and unified and he's the conductor and we're tuned to his, his beat and we're following his lead, man, it's like, it's a symphony and the world wants to sit in on that symphony. They want to see what that's about. They want to hear that music. When it's not, oh my goodness, they want to run away and plug their ears and go hide somewhere. It's not even a hard prayer, but it's a hard prayer, isn't it? That we would just simply adopt Philippians 2. If there's ever encouragement, any encouragement for me in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, that we'd make God's joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That we do nothing from selfish ambition, oh my goodness, it's getting close to the heart, or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. That we look each not to our own interests, but also to the interests of others and having this mind among yourselves, which is yours, which is already ours in Jesus Christ. Who didn't just tell us this, but then Philippians 2 says that he actually embodied it when he gave himself up for us. And he allowed himself, the, the son of God, to be treated like a criminal and died the most horrendous death in obedience to the father that we might have eternal life. And he suspended all of his rights to love us and love his father in complete sacrificial obedience to him. 
is what Jesus is praying for us, that we'd have unity over uniformity even in the church. That we could have differences. That we'd major on the majors and minor on the minors and see what God gives a grace to know the difference, but we could love each other in spite of being different. That's the glory of the church. That we have affection over dissension. Anybody can come to church and pick out all the wrongs and all the negative things. Like, that's easy. Very few can come in and find the positives and build up and seek to, like, to, to make a difference in the church. That, that's what Jesus is praying for us, that we'd be a builder, not a terror. That we'd be together and not apart. That we'd realize that we can't do this thing on our own. The church can't survive by the pastor or the staff. That we have to do this together. And that, that we're stronger on our, together than on our own. And as we do that, here's what it does. It reveals the unity of God. As the text shows us, it shows the love of God. And it displays the glory of God to the world around us. Quickly, that's what Jesus is praying for us in John 17. Doesn't just pray, Jesus, I help them to know me and then let's like catapult them to heaven so they can skip all this. No, he's not praying. He's praying, help them to know me, help them to live and stand out in this world in a way that people notice the reality and the glory of Jesus Christ through being identified with his name, through standing strong in his name, through being rooted in the word of God and being unified as a body of believers. It's a lot here. I could preach on this for like six hours, but I'm done. But let me ask you this. How are you this week now? You just take one aspect of each point. How are you going to live this out in a way to see Jesus' prayer being actualized in your life? How is Jesus' prayer going to change your life this week? God, protect us from just coming to church. Hearing the word and going home like nothing changes. But instead, oh God, help us to see the power of Jesus' prayer come alive in our lives today. Jesus' heart is revealed to you through his prayer for you. The cross is about Jesus dying, that you would not just be saved, but that you would now live for him. Jesus' desire is not just that he put you in the race, but that he'd sustain you for the race. Hebrews 11, right? The author perfected of our faith, that he, he put you in the race, he wants to sustain you for the race, and he wants to be at the finish line to greet you when you come across that finish line with strength. Jesus' desire is that you would keep your eyes on him and run strong for the finish line. And he prays for us because he knows how desperately we need his help and his strength to do so. So he promises that's the case for all who humble themselves and put their hope fully on Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray as James comes. God, I'll finish this with the way I started. May your word now bear fruit in my life, in the lives of those in this place.
Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see you, to see Jesus. God, may our ears have heard truths that now the Holy Spirit is going to apply specifically to our lives that maybe you're putting a finger on, maybe you want to encourage us on, but Lord, help us not close our ears, but to keep them open. God, may our hearts be wide open. May the seeds that have been planted today bear fruit in us. In Jesus, will we see the reality of the cross. The amazing, amazing cross of Jesus. In a way, Lord, that changes the trajectory of our lives this week. We love you, God, today, but it's only because you first loved us. We're grateful for your presence. We're grateful for your prayers. We're grateful for your promises. And we're grateful for your power, which we know, as we submit to you, will enable all these things to become reality in our lives. Use this now, Lord, in a way that only you can. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.